400 sheep fall off a cliff in Turkey. This was the title of a news story that broke back in 2005. The short article from a website called The Peninsula reads as follows. Hundreds of sheep follow their leader off a cliff in eastern Turkey, plunging to their deaths this week while shepherds looked on in dismay. 400 sheep fell 15 meters to their deaths in a ravine in the Van province near Iran, but broke the fall of another 1,100 animals who survived, newspaper reports said yesterday. Shepherds from a village nearby neglected the flock while eating breakfast, leaving the sheep to roam free. The loss to the local farmers was estimated at $74,000. This news article, while somewhat comical, gives us a look at what happens when there are bad shepherds in charge. The shepherds in this story who were charged with overseeing the sheep took their attention off the sheep in order to feed the bellies. Now that seems like a pretty harmless act on their part. Shepherds need sustenance too, right? But that's all it took, that short time of disregard, for one sheep to have the great idea to try jumping off that cliff while the rest of the flock followed after. The shepherds neglected the sheep, and this was the result. When the shepherd fails to lead, the sheep are easily led astray. We also get an idea of the tendency of sheep. Now, I'm sure the sheep in the story didn't have a death wish, and I'm unaware of sheep having any abnormal suicidal tendencies. But without a shepherd, shepherd can, uh, sheep can and most likely will stray. They can get lost. And this can certainly be true when they are under stress or attacked. Michael Lawhorn, our resident shepherd, has been kind enough to give me some insight into sheep and shepherding. He stated that sheep run away from danger, but they will keep running until they can't run anymore. They will fall over dead. They will be so afraid that they will literally run themselves to death. You know the Word of God describes us as sheep, right? Earlier in 1 Peter, he says, for you were straying like sheep. This short article illustrates what can happen to us if we don't have faithful leaders. As the hymn says, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Sheep need good shepherds, faithful shepherds. In Matthew 9.36, it says of Jesus, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. The Lord loves his sheep and he wants good shepherds for his sheep. So how has God ordered his church to care for his sheep? How does Peter encourage the leaders to faithfully lead the sheep? If you would turn in your Bibles to our passage tonight out of 1 Peter 5, verses 1 through 4. If you're using one of the pew Bibles provided, you can find that on page 590. <clears throat> so I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow, fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you 
exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. This is God's word. Now we have been in First Peter for a little while, and I'm sure you recall that Peter is writing to persecuted Christians, the elect exiles of the dispersion in Western Asia. At the end of chapter 4, we learn that we can expect trials. We can expect persecution. We should not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes to test us, as it says in 1 Peter 4.12. And what does 2 Timothy 3.12 say to us? Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ, Jesus, will be persecuted. Not it might happen, not if you're lucky you might skate by, not if you live the right way or join the right church, life will be smooth sailing. No, persecution will happen. And these churches, these sheep, are in the midst of that persecution and suffering. So in light of that suffering, Peter now pivots to address the men who are charged with caring for the sheep, those that have been set apart for leadership in the church. Now, I work as a physician in the field of occupational medicine, so I get to meet a lot of different patients. They come in um, trying to apply for a lot of different types of jobs, and they'll come in and they'll bring a job description with them. And so I read through that so I can try to determine if that person is physically, mentally capable of doing that job that they're applying for. This job description is a plain language tool that explains the tasks, duties, function, and responsibilities of a position. So what does Peter say to these men? What is their job description? He tells them, shepherd the flock. This seems reminiscent of what Peter was told by, um, by Christ after his resurrection. Remember that prior to Christ's death, uh, Christ was telling them that that he would suffer and that he would die. Of course, Peter proclaimed, Lord, I will lay down my life for you. Then when questioned, he denied the Lord three times and fled, just as Christ said he would. But the Lord redeems Peter's failures. As they were standing on the shore just after having breakfast, Jesus asked Peter three times, Simon, do you love me? Simon, do you love me? Simon, do you love me? Peter is grieved that he is asked three times, but answers, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And what does Jesus tell him to do? Feed my lambs. Tend my sheep. Feed my sheep. Love for Jesus that is devoted to feeding and tending his sheep was the final lesson for Jesus' church planning class. So in light of Christ's exhortation to him, Peter, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes to the elders, shepherd the flock. It's like he's saying, I have been given my marching orders from Christ, and they are the same for you. Now there may be some in here who have been a part of churches that have had bad shepherds, like those described in the news article that we just discussed. You've had pastors that were neglectful. They didn't feed the sheep. They didn't lead you never saw them outside of the pulpit, so you never saw what the Christian life was supposed to be modeled like. 
Or maybe you had some on the other end of the spectrum, and they were too authoritarian. Maybe you were hurt by these leaders, either spiritually, emotionally. But Christ loves his bride and wants good and faithful leaders for his church. If you question that, I recommend you read Ezekiel 34 and Matthew 23 to see what God thinks of bad shepherds. So what is the standard for those who shepherd us? What are the right men to look like? This leads me to the five points that we will be looking at tonight. I'll say each of them twice. Number one, a shepherd is qualified. A shepherd is qualified. Number two, a shepherd is a steward. A shepherd is a steward. Number three, a shepherd gives oversight. A shepherd gives oversight. Number four, a shepherd is willing and eager. A shepherd is willing and eager. And number five, a shepherd is an example. A shepherd is an example. So number one, a shepherd is qualified. Peter says, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Here Peter addresses them as elders. For clarity, throughout the New Testament we see elder, shepherd, and overseer used interchangeably for the same office. Shepherd is where we get our word pastor, while we get bishop from the word overseer. So it would be appropriate for us to refer to Alan Williams as Bishop Allen. But Peter uses this term elder because he knows he is addressing a qualified group of men. They have been evaluated by the church according to the qualifications of an elder seen in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1. They have been weighed, they have been observed, they have been tested, and then they have been affirmed by the church. Christ has raised up these men for office. And there isn't anything inherently good about these men, but Christ has gifted them in such a way that they have both the desire and the willingness to lead. And Peter identifies himself with them as a fellow elder. He knows what these men face in, day in and day out. He knows the joys and the frustrations of the office. He also knows what it is like to suffer. Peter states that he witnessed the sufferings of Christ. Peter knows that these churches are in the midst of suffering. And Peter also knows that suffering is the pathway to the glory that is to be revealed for the Christian and for these elders. Christ traveled the same road, and we should not be surprised when we are called to do the same. And what do we need in the midst of fierce persecution and suffering as these churches were experiencing? You need qualified, faithful leaders in the face of battle. We need good leaders and not a hireling. John 10, 12 says, he who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. 
We need men who don't shy or run away from that battle. We need leaders who imitate the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. We need leaders who turn and fight and help the rest of us put on our spiritual armor. Point number two. A shepherd is a steward. So he tells them, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Good shepherds understand that the flock is not theirs. It's God's flock that they are shepherding. The sheep don't belong to these shepherds, but to the chief shepherd. Paul in Acts 20, 28 says, Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock, in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to, the, to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Christ has bought these sheep with his own blood, so they belong to him and no other. It's a stewardship that has been given to them. 1 Corinthians 4, 1 through 2 says, This is how one should regard us, as servants of Christ and stewards of the mystery of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. So it's not just a stewardship of the sheep, but also the mysteries of God. The mystery that the Gentiles are now fellow heirs through the gospel. So elders steward the people as well as the gospel that they proclaim to them. These men are to preach the word, the whole counsel of God. They do not seek to appease the itching ears of some to suit their own passions, thus turning them away from the truth. No, these men declare the truth of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. These men need to preach to us that we have rebelled against a holy God because of our sin, we are by nature his enemies. We deserve his righteous judgment, which is what we deserve if left to ourselves. But God, who is rich in mercy and bounding in steadfast love, sent Jesus Christ, the Son of God, to save us. He came and lived the life that we could never live and died the death that we justly deserved and satisfied the wrath of God on the cross. He then rose three days later, signifying that appeasement of God's wrath. Therefore, through Christ, we have forgiveness of sins. And God, through His Spirit, now opens our eyes to our desperate need for a Savior. And all those who repent of their sin turn to Christ, and put their faith in Jesus, will be saved. We constantly need this truth preached to us. We don't just need the gospel on Christmas and Easter. No, we need the gospel proclaimed boldly every Lord's Day. From the pulpit, we need, we need it proclaimed from the pulpit each week. And we need to preach it to ourselves daily until we are home in glory because that is where our hope lies. This is a remarkable responsible given, uh, responsibility given to the Lord, uh, by the Lord to the elders. Hebrews 13, 17 says of pastors, For they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. These men will one day have to give an account for how they shepherded God's flock that is among them. This makes meaningful church membership essential so the elders know who it is that they are shepherding. They seek to know who the sheep are 
and to watch out for wolves who try to infiltrate the body. Peter knows the weight of this stewardship and is now handing off the reins to a new generation of pastors that must now faithfully steward the church just as Peter had done through his life. Point number three, a shepherd gives oversight. So Peter says, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. Good shepherds always have an eye on the church. They are watching the state of the flock. They know this because as they lead as elders, they do so among the sheep. They are not removed from the sheep. Good shepherds can't leave well if they're far off. If they aren't careful, the flock could stray and jump off a cliff. No, shepherds know the sheep because they live with them. You could even say that they smell like the sheep. Because elder work takes place primarily in relationship with church members. Isn't this what Christ did during his earthly ministry? He spent all his time with his disciples and the crowds. He not only laid down his life for his sheep, but spent his life for the sheep. In the same way, elders share in the lives of church members and give them direction and counsel. Newton and Schmucker, in their book, Elders in the Life of the Church, put it this way, quote, as those who shepherd elders, as those who shepherd, elders give pastoral oversight. A shepherd knows his sheep, watches out for dangers, ensures that they are well fed and watered, applies healing balm to, the, to their wounds, and occasionally disciplines them to return them to the fold. In other words, shepherds watch over the souls of those under their charge. Hebrews 13, 17. They spend time with their flock, understanding their needs, and apply God's word to them with precision. They regularly feed them with the truth of Scripture by unfolding the doctrines of the word and helping them stand firmly in the faith. Sadly, this is not always the case in churches. Nor has it always been my experience in churches. Some pastors are rarely seen with the sheep except whenever they're called in to preach. They are so far removed from the congregation that there is no example to follow. But praise God for the gifts he has given us. In Blake, Tom, Alan, who are visible among the sheep, who diligently care for us and are faithful to feed us well from God's word. Point number four, a shepherd is willing and eager. So they are supposed to, exercising, to exercise oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. In verse two, elders are instructed to exercise oversight of the God's flock, but then goes on to describe the manner that this is to be done. And Peter does this by drawing contrasts by how elders should and should not conduct themselves. So this oversight that we just described by the elders is done willingly and not under compulsion. To be under compulsion is to have something forced upon you or feeling constrained to do something. Like, oh, I, I have to do this. It's a burden. 
But shepherds of Christ's church should not be talked into, that, into taking the position. Their arms should not have to be twisted to serve in this role. If a man ever takes the office in this manner, he would be serving the will of man, not the will of God. For the under-shepherd, being an elder is not a job. He serves out of love for God and love for the sheep. He serves with a wholehearted desire, which is similar to what is described in 1 Timothy 3, verse 1. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. But the same elder who has that desire, he desires it even though teachers faced a stricter judgment as described in James 3, verse 1. It says, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with a greater strictness. Again, Newton and Schmucker in their book say, When a man works voluntarily rather than under constraint, he works harder. He finds joy in what he is doing. He possesses staying power that does not give up when times become difficult. This staying power is exactly what the elders needed when Nero was persecuting the church. If someone is to serve in leadership, there will be demands, tough times, just like the elders were experiencing uh, at that point. And this is true especially when shepherds work among the sheep. Sheep bite. Sheep stray. And wolves sneak in. When this occurs, those working under constraint, they will not find joy in the work. They will likely lose heart. They will lose that joy when the work gets hard. And the church could suffer the consequences of poor leadership at that point. Peter continues stating that elders lead eagerly and not for shameful gain. The office should not be taken out of any form of greed. Titus 1 describes an elder as not greedy for gain. True elders are not in it for the paycheck. Though those who labor in preaching and teaching full-time, they do deserve their wages. They are not there for the title. They are not there for the fame, for the attention. They're not there for the likes on Facebook or Instagram, or Twitter, X, whatever you want to call it nowadays. But they eagerly serve, like we said, because of it's out of love for Christ and His sheep. Elders find, their greatest satis- elders find their greatest satisfaction in acts of service, in what they give rather than what they get. They delight more in the fruit that is born in the life of the sheep like what it says in Colossians 1, verses 28. Him, Christ, we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Point number five. A shepherd is an example. So the elders are to not be domineering over those in their charge, but be examples to the flock. Elders are to be examples to the flock. But we as the church need to understand that this is not going to be done perfectly. 
Elders are not perfect. They're not God. Sometimes I think the temptation is to sinfully put men on a pedestal. We see them as super-Christians who have it all together. And if we're honest, that pedestal in our hearts can even go above Christ. And then we have an idol on our hands. But a true elder, I assure you, a true elder, pastor, shepherd does not want this. A true elder recognizes that he is a lowly shepherd, that he is a sinner saved by the grace of God just like everyone else. And he is being sanctified too, just like we are. So he will not be perfect. But he will model well what it looks like to follow Christ. He will give the congregation something good to emulate. It's like when children are trying to learn to write. We will give them a sheet of paper that has dots arranged on it and, uh, into different letters that we want them to try to learn. Then they trace those dots to form the letter. So in the same way, elders gives us something to trace, something to follow. We observe their lives. We see how they live. We ask ourselves, how do they learn? How do they serve? We look and see how they pray, how they confess sin, how they repent, how they ask for forgiveness, how they grow. And we say, I want to do that. The verse also says to not be domineering. The CSB translation says not lording it over those entrusted you. The leadership of the elders is not driven by the love of power. It's not an opportunity to oppress sheep. Elders are not to be oppressors, but examples. Peter might have been recalling what Jesus taught them as, he, as uh, recorded in Matthew 20, tw verse uh, 25 through 28. You know the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. They are servant leaders. Elders are to lead in a meek and exemplary manner, as Christ did, not to be served, but to serve. Elders do not domineer over the sheep because, as we stated before, the sheep do not belong to them anyway. They must never lord their authority over the flock, for the flock already has a lord, who is King Jesus. As we have seen tonight, being an elder is a very weighty task, but it is a much needed in the church. But this task does not go without hope. As we discussed earlier in the Christian life, suffering comes first, then glory. That is the hope of every Christian and the hope for every under-shepherd who labors well according to Scripture. Verse 4 says, And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Elders, the position you hold 
will not last for forever. You have been assigned this flock in this church at this time. And thankfully, the struggles you face now are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed. You have a reward that awaits you from your master. May God continue to give you the grace to lead well. Church, pray for your elders. They have a weighty task. And let us be mindful of the qualifications of an elder so that when God in his timing raises up more men among us who aspire to the office, we will be able to truly observe, test, and then affirm them. And then after affirming them, may we follow and submit to their leadership well. May we continue to imitate our under-shepherds as they imitate our Lord Jesus, the chief shepherd.